You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein and Associates. This is Philip, and I'm speaking to you. Uh, it's a podcast that uh, I haven't done in a while, but it's a podcast without a guest. And it's just a chance for me as we enter 2014 to share a few things that uh, I've observed, I'm anticipating in the coming year, and just to give you some insight of things that I think might be helpful to you. I think the first topic that I would just like to talk about, it's a, a term that a lot of you should be familiar with already from the media, which is FATCA. And this is a piece of legislation um, that the United States introduced in order to get U.S. citizens to reveal, or rather overseas banks to reveal who their U.S. customers are. This has proven that it is, although it seemed to be first affecting European banks, particularly in Switzerland, it has certainly been spreading to here. Uh, in fact, it, it's the first year where it really has an impact in terms of the banks transferring information to the IRS about their U.S. customers will be in 2014. But even before that date comes in, uh, in in the summer, we are seeing banks already uh, trying to identify who their U.S. customers are, getting U.S. customers who are also dual citizens in many cases, filing a W-9, which is a U.S. tax form. Some banks have even asked uh, customers to sign declarations that they are in compliance, uh, having filed U.S. tax returns, having filed the FBAR form. And uh, I think many of my clients should anticipate uh, the banks contacting, your banks contacting you, and uh, you should not hesitate to sign these forms because not signing them can lead to your account being frozen or you being asked to leave the bank as a customer. It's really not optional unless you're someone who isn't a U.S. citizen anymore or never was a U.S. citizen uh, or maybe it was a resident and at some point the bank was aware of that and, and your status has changed. But my firm recommendation is to sign these forms, be in compliance with bank. You don't have to go to your bank to sign these forms. It's their responsibility to come to you. So it's not something that you're, if you haven't heard from them, you haven't done anything wrong. But if you get that call or letter, I strongly suggest that you uh, contact them or, or agree to sign the W-9 or whatever else. And if there's something that you're uncomfortable with in their declaration, uh, please call us and we'll uh, guide you if it's something out of the unusual. I think that leads me to my next topic, which is that you know, the trend I've seen uh 1980 was my first tax season here. We're now in uh, 2014. I think I can safely say I've seen a lot of tax returns in my time and, and how the IRS interacts with the U.S. citizens that live outside of the U.S. And I would say that the compliance bar, the standard of compliance, has been risen considerably in the last few years. The IRS is more attuned to the U.S. citizen living out of the, out of the U.S. And per that, we ourselves have spent a lot of time, a lot of effort in our team to really make sure we get it right in this new environment. And uh, I'm very happy to say that we're doing a, a, a much better job. It does mean 
that your tax return may take longer. It may mean we're going to ask you for more data, things that we didn't ask you for in the past. And at times it may frustrate you, but at the end of the day, our goal is that you are in full compliance so that if you get a letter from the IRS or any compliance issue comes up, that you will have nothing to worry about and uh, we can answer any queries uh, quickly accurately and uh, it's it will become a thing of the past very quickly as you know many of you have been familiar in the last three four or five years with the FBAR form that's when the IRS really changed their attitude regarding compliance it's something that we've been doing for quite some time for 214 the IRS will no longer allow for anyone individuals or firms to file FBARs by paper we have signed up as a filer electronically of FBARs, and we've recently been informed that our software, the same software we use to do your tax returns, will have that feature as well. So uh, if you've been someone who has preferred to do their own FBAR, unless you sign up uh, to do it electronically, and I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's not an easy process to sign up, we can handle that for you. Sticking on the uh, IRS topic, uh, the last few years we've also seen a great deal of audits, uh, primarily for those people, uh, younger families, people who have children under 17 who have been claiming the child tax credit. The audits seem to continue. Um, We have gotten it down pretty much to a science where we can help you identify what you need to get together, what you need to translate, what you need to send in. There are exceptions. Um, Not all auditors are as cooperative. Some are tougher. But if you have this issue and if an audit comes up, we can help you and we have the right staff in place to make this process as painless as possible. It has been challenging at times, but we have the right formula now as to what you need to give them in order to comply and get the refunds that you deserve. Um, Another topic I just want to share with you is the issue of uh, banking. Um, There's been a lot of because of the compliance and because of changes in the U.S. and Israeli system, a lot of things that you wouldn't think would happen, happen. Uh, One of the unfortunate things is that many banking institutions and brokerage houses just don't want a U.S. citizen as a customer that lives outside of the U.S. There's nothing, there's no law against it, but because of their own compliance and requirements that they would just as soon not have a U.S. customer. So we have seen cases where clients have asked to close accounts that they had for many years. More common, I have clients who, let's say, inherit uh, an account from a deceased, most in most cases, parent or an IRA, and the bank simply or institution will not continue that account uh, in the name of the uh, heirs or someone who inherited an IRA and they're entitled to keep the money in and let's say take it over a very long period, 20, 30, maybe 40 years, Uh, they aren't allowing it and it's very difficult to find an institution that will roll it over if you only have a uh, outside of the U.S. address. It's something we're trying to cope with. We have found some of the branches of the Israeli banks in the States are more user-friendly for U.S. citizens that live in Israel, and I would recommend that as an option. Um, And we're also seeing on the Israeli side issues that come up that um, um, if you're living outside of the U.S., the 
banks here won't let you hold um, securities uh, that are U.S. traded. Um, there are rules against that. Um, some banks have realized that a U.S. citizen limited can hold that portfolio, and that was that law is only meant for U.S. citizens that are not living in Israel, but using Israeli banks uh, for investment. So if you get uh, an inquiry or someone, one of your bankers says that you can't hold a portfolio, uh, generally, that can, that can be overcome if you speak to the right person. Another topic that we see uh, really raising its profile, I've been sending out newsletters about this for several years, is the problem of PFIX. It's a acronym for Passive Foreign Investment Company, which is a provision that's been on the Congress Internal Revenue Code since the early 80s. Basically, for the first 25 years, uh, there was very little compliance in this area from the IRS's point of view. And one of the biggest problems that, that we find is that the PIFICs cover mutual funds that are not traded on a U.S. exchange. Now, the mutual fund industry in the early 80s was probably uh, almost non-existent. Very few people took part. And certainly the foreign mutual fund industry People who took part, if they lived in the States, were generally doing it in order not to pay tax. That's because a foreign mutual fund only distributes its income when you sell your interest in that fund, whereas a U.S. fund has to distribute most of its income during the year, so there's no tax deferral when you invest in a mutual fund. However, investment strategies have evolved that people tend not to hold individual stocks anymore. They'd rather spread their risk by being in a mutual fund in a certain sector, in a certain country or series of countries, or being in ETFs, uh, which can also be invested in minerals, in other asset classes. Unfortunately, if it's uh, you're following the good advice of your investment advisor or your broker or yourself, and you're spreading your risk around, this can be a very poor investment for U.S. income tax purposes. I've written about this. And uh, starting this year in 2014, and there was, uh, when we file your 2014 return in 2015, we, you are going to be asked to identify if you have these PFICs. So I think it's, it's a good idea to see what your exposure is. Your associate can explain. We've spent a lot of time educating ourselves and my staff on this topic, and we can uh, perhaps help you with some strategy to minimize the uh, taxation of holding a PIFIC or holding a PIFIC for investment, which sometime, some, at some point you will sell. Last topic that I wanted to touch upon was real estate. A lot of changes here in Israel as of late going into 214. Sort of the strategy or the fact that people could sell an apartment for any price every four years in Israel, um, spread things amongst children. We have, we have found that under the new rules, those options are gone. Um, each sale, unless it's your only principal resident, is going to be subject to Israeli tax. And one has to be aware of that when they go forward, and particularly in assets they've hold, held a long time, which has a large gain. Initially, the tax is going to be uh, introduced on a linear basis. In other words, you're, you're going to pay tax on only the gain that may have happened 
post this change after 1231-213, but it does mean that people who own is real estate in Israel, residential real estate, whether they live here or whether they live abroad, are now going to be subject to tax on any gain. On the other side of the ocean, uh, we continue to see the uh, development, the interesting response to the downturn in, Isra- in U.S. real estate that Israelis or people who live in Israel have a very a uh, strong appetite for Israeli for US real estate particularly residential real estate and we see a lot of Israelis investing all over the United States not just the classic markets of New York, Florida and Nevada although we still see most of the activity uh last years has still centered around New York and Manhattan specifically there's been a lot of activity in Brooklyn uh Florida still seems to be a place where there are opportunities, what I'm hearing from people, not necessarily in the Miami area, but other portions of Florida. And um, it seems to be an investment that one can get a good rate of return as well if you hold it for a, a, a relatively long term or at least a year and it's held for investment, then you can get a capital gain rate, which in the U.S. is somewhere between 15 and 20. In Israel, it's somewhere it's usually about 25 on residential real estate so it can be you can get a nice return and pay a low tax but that is something that our firm has spent a lot of time has gained a lot of experience in these areas and if it's something you're interested in or it's something you've already invested in and want to understand better your tax exposure we can definitely help you with that i just want to end by wishing you all a a very good secular new year we look forward to serving you We look forward to making the process better, smoother, informative. We find that our podcast, we've covered a lot of topics over the past year, be it in high tech, be it in tax law, be it in real estate, being it in banking. And we're going to continue to look for topics that we think are interesting for you and ability to give you access to people that you may not even know about. And that is going to be a definite goal our newsletters, our Facebook page, our website is is going to always be fresh and up to date and offering you things that we think you need and should know about. So again, wishing you a good 2014 and looking forward to continuing to work together. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.